Stranded at the roadside is not where you want to be. That's why you pay extra for roadside assistance coverage. But what if you didn't have to pay extra for it? U.S. Eagle Perks Checking comes with roadside assistance coverage 24-7 when you need it. Learn more at gettheperks.org. Checking that gives you more because people mean more at U.S. Eagle. Terms and conditions apply. See U.S. Eagle for details. Federally insured by NCUA. Hello, I'm Barbara Ann Garcia, healthcare advocate, strong woman athlete, and the host of Healthcare Untold. Healthcare Untold is a podcast dedicated to giving voice to everyday heroes and their untold health stories that can improve healthcare to our most vulnerable communities. Today's guest is Gabriela Chavez Lopez. She's an advocate and the president of the Latina Coalition of Silicon Valley, a planning commissioner, and also a leader uh, for protecting and supporting Latinos during the COVID-19 pandemic. Uh, Gaviela is a leader in the, in the Silicon Valley area. We want to know more about your background. So welcome to Healthcare Untold, Gaviela. Thank you so much for having me. Happy to be here. And so tell us about your career, because, you know, Healthcare Untold is really trying to share the stories of our community leaders. And um, it's really um, also, you know, the mentoring of our younger uh, leaders in our communities to show them how careers develop and, and the kind of incredible work that our community does. Yeah, so funny you bring up the topic of mentorship because my first two mentors of course were my and still are my parents um they were wonderful examples for me growing up on how you can really pursue your life's work and passions at the same time they both uh, they raised me in the central valley in fresno they both were college professors who were really their life's kind of mission and passion was giving back to the community and helping um, you know, obviously educate uh, the students that attended Fresno State. And so I got to see that firsthand. And helping people has always been central to my core, um, uh, if you may. And just, you know, really seeing them sort of exemplify that and work not being work, it really being your vocation in life. Um, really, the the work that you do is meaningful. And so I got to see that growing up. So um, they were really my first teachers. And I've really sought out mentors throughout my career. I've always looked up to people who were making an impact, who were changing lives, who were out there in the community bringing a voice to the table that wasn't always heard. Um, I always admired the, you know, the Blanca Alvarados of the world. You know, uh, I met her when I was in high school and seeing her as the first, you know, Latina city council member of a major U.S. city. Um, really just seeing that exemplified um, really helped guide my own career choices and my own path. And, you know, obviously I had to find my own, but I was inspired by so many Latino and I stand on the shoulders of so many Latino leaders that I just saw growing up. And now, you know, to be considered someone that people look up to is just very humbling, um, but also carries a lot of responsibility. And so I always make sure that 
you know, I'm I'm being true to myself and, and what what it is that I want to contribute back. Um, and so that's a little bit about me. And I work in affordable housing by day. I do policy and advocacy and research. Uh, and we work throughout Silicon Valley. And um, on my other hat that I am, I don't necessarily wear it. Um, I'm the president of the, the Latina Coalition of Silicon Valley, which is another really advocacy, leadership development, power building organization for Latinas, uh, I would say aspiring to be leaders inside of the building, so in their workplace, but also in, in outside of the building, in their communities, and their civic life. And so really balancing those two powers is something that we really try to instill in the women that we interact with. I myself am a product of that pipeline. I started with them when I was in high in college, and now, you know, this is 15 years later, I'm now leading the organization into the future. So super exciting uh, work. That's and great. I, That's wonderful. Thank you. Thank you. Well, you know, one of the areas that we're looking at, uh, the healthcare and toad, is really the incredible work that we have done in response to COVID-19. And as you know, Gabriela, Latinos have been greatly impacted. Um, you know, we are impacted twice as uh, any other community group. Um, and so it's really important um, that we recognize the leadership that I know, Gabriela, you have shown uh, many other communities in response to COVID-19. Can you share with us a little bit about the work that your group has been doing? Yeah. So, I mean, I think a lot of it was rising to the occasion. You know, early on, I experienced myself as a single mother living in Silicon Valley in a multi-generational household, the impacts that a shelter in place as a working mom just had on me personally. So I started there. So in a way, I had a foresight that this was going to impact our community early on. And then I started talking to women I was in my group, in my you know circle of friends that were balancing work and home and parents and kids and familia and a community. And, and I was, I saw it, I, I saw it in advance, like, wow, this is, this is like week one of shelter in place. And I'm like, this is going to impact us. And I, I just didn't even know the ways, but I was feeling it. And I did have kind of, I could see around the corner a bit. And I knew that Latina coalition had to step up and meet this moment. And then in the growing need of Latinas, because I was like, they need a community, they need a support system, they need a place that they can come and vent, that they can come and talk about something other than COVID. Yes, um, just yes. a place to express themselves, um, an outlet if you may. And so uh, we stepped it up as an organization. We had, I think, three times as much programming. We had 100 to 170 women joining us weekly on calls, just talking about everything under the sun from childcare to finances, to losing your job, to resume building. I mean, we were just pumping out content and training and just ultimately building this online community that we had never really done before. We'd always been in person. And so we just started responding to the needs of our community right away and getting out information about the vaccines. The census was still, you know, happening. Right. The elections were still happening. I mean, there was so much coming our way, but we were responding um, and quickly. And we knew that we needed to to really meet the needs of our community because Latinas, in particularly, as a subgroup of Latinos, of women, felt job loss the hardest because of childcare needs, because of needs of their family, like and undocumented women in particular lost jobs at just 
sky like just rates that were incredible and so because of the sectors that we work in and and so you know i think that we just bringing that latina voice was so important into the conversation at the county the city um and then the demand for that voice we started having people reach out to us and saying well what does latina coalition think and what are your members saying and what are you doing and and so we started getting kind of that demand for for our input about certain things which was which was great because we would always have to kind of fight right to right. get our voices heard and be like hey we we matter but it was kind of like the roles were reversed in a bit and That's people right. were coming coming That's to right. us and That's saying right. what do you think we need you to sit at this table we need your perspective we need you to sit on this panel and give us your perspective and resources came along with that so our organization actually quadrupled our budget um and and so what that means is our impact and our capacity has grown so much because there the need is great and i'm so glad that there are funders out there that really saw an investment in latinas as something a very critical to our economic recovery so um that's what we experienced and we really just stepped it up and uh really just tried to build community and make sure that people were getting the right information in english and in spanish and with Latina doctores, you know, like just having them come and explain the vaccine. We did an event with Latinas Contra Cancer and Chicana Latina Foundation. All of us Latinas got together and said, we need to inform our communities and it needs to come from us. There, nobody else. Absolutely. And, I, you know, I'm seeing, I've seen this across the country that uh, Latina and Latino groups and Latinx communities have really come together to hold people accountable. But the whole other issue is the government, the health departments really know that the essence of their success has to be in those relationships and collaborations they have with community groups, particularly uh, community groups that have been greatly impacted um, of by COVID-19. And that is the Latino community of the United States. Um, I, as we move forward, um, Gabriela, can you share with us what some of your visions, some of your thoughts are? You know, you never leave a crisis unattended to, and uh, all these organizations pivoted, and now we're not totally in that recovery process because we still have communities that have not had access. And Correct. one of the striking issues that came out from this was access to health care um, and, um, and in the area that you're in is access to housing. Can you give us a little bit of what your vision is? Cause we're going to be moving and COVID-19 people want, want to put that behind us, but we still have community that, that um, is, are greatly needing of uh, resources, vaccines and support as we come out of this economic devastation. Most definitely. Well, you know, one of the strategic moves, you know, as a community, I think for us was to get, uh, you know, who out of the White House. Um, yes. So that was a good move, I think, yes, on yes. our part. Um, and obviously flipping the Senate, that's very good. You know, our recovery package and the resources available to our community starting at the federal level skyrocketed, right? We mm -hmm. have a lot of support from the White House. And so all that, I say that because all that trickles down to communities, right? And it's resources that are available for us to start thinking about these visions that we have for what we need to invest in. And I think childcare as infrastructure is just one of those things that's so critical to our community and the women and our families, because, um, you know, we, we, how are we going to get back to work if we don't have adequate childcare and if we don't have, you know, stable housing 
And so I think that that's a key component of, um, you know, recovery and looking forward to the future is kind of reimagining what childcare could look like for women, particularly because there's been this whole she session. Um, how do we get women back to work um, is really going to be quite important. And then, you know, looking forward as well is, is, you know, the rest of our communities that aren't, you know, currently vaccinated. How do we, you know, close those gaps and how do we make sure that they're that they're taken care of and they have the protection that they need um, and they're not listening to, you know, not good information. And so um, I think that's that's definitely part of it and then you know also is just keeping up this this community that we've built we've collaborated we've come together we've been on the same page which isn't always the case for our community but you know we've we've kind of had this singular message that like we've been really just coming together around and i would hope that we keep up that that collaboration and we keep up those objectives right like now it's going to be you know we came together around the vaccine but what's the next thing you know that we can all come together and fight for and amplify our voices around um i don't i think it's really community driven so that's going to be very organic it's not for me to say what that what that next thing is but i just hope that we can come together and still stay as a collective and in, in moving the needle because we have a, a big hole to get out of. Um, you know, like you said, the work is is not even gotten started in terms of what recovery looks like. But I really think investing um, in childcare and investing in our schools is like is really a great start because then that allows adults and parents and people to to function and contribute and to get back to the, you know, get back to providing for their families. Um, the other thing is the eviction moratorium that I'm really sort of watching, um, making sure how that's going to be handled. If, are those going to be, is it going to be forgiven completely? How are they going to kind of implement that? Um, because that's a really big deal because, you know, once you lose your housing, it leads to all kinds of other, you know, detriments um, to your family and your health. And so talk to us a little know, bit more about that, Gabriela, for the listening on audience who may not know about that. Yeah, so the eviction moratorium is basically a moratorium is basically a stop. That's what it means in in really just kind of layman's terms. And so it's just a stop to eviction. So during the pandemic, there was federal uh, policy and also local policies that made it illegal for you to have kick people out of their homes because they weren't paying rent. Right. And so the landlord um, and whether or not they abided by it, I mean, there's a lot of court and litigation that's happening around that. Um, it gave the tenant, uh, the person who was renting or the person who was, you know, in the home, some rights around um, staying in their homes due to COVID. You had to provide proof. You had to say, I lost, you know, lost income due to COVID. You had to obviously provide documentation. And there was community groups on the ground really disseminating this information, like the Law Foundation of Silicon Valley and um, other tenants' rights groups that really were on the ground, making sure that communities knew that you're, you cannot get kicked out of your home. You cannot be forcibly removed. This was something that was enacted. And so right now there's there's talks about what that means, about all that back pay. Because in Silicon Valley, a year of no rent could mean 
uh, I, I mean, adding it up, it could be almost tens of thousands of dollars right, right. Um, that people will owe. And so what does that forgiveness model look like? How does the how do they take care of the landlord? The landlord may have mortgage to pay. How do they work with the banks? So um, hopefully, you know, people are, are figuring that out. Um, our, our decision makers and our legislators are figuring out how that's going to come down. But it will affect our communities because obviously it's a lot of rent um, that they would owe if it if it didn't happen. But it, it's looking good. And I, I think that the federal package is going to help supplement a lot of that um, unpaid rent and just kind of getting it dispersed is going to be, you know, maybe a technical challenge. Um, but it's something that is really important in order to keep our families housed. Absolutely. And, you know, on that housing theme, and you're an incredible housing advocate, um, what do you see for the future of housing? Because, you know, as, as we talked about, the transmission of COVID-19 impacted the Latino community uh, tremendously because of the, uh, you know, the, the, the housing issues that we have. Um, what do you think of the future of that as we uh, go into this next phase of COVID-19 response? Yeah, so the <laughs> with housing it's it's challenging because we have a lot of money, we have a lot of land. Most of the time what I find that the barrier is and the challenge is it's community opposition. People don't want housing in their neighborhood. They they're talking about parking, they're talking about this and that. And so I think that really we as as Californians, for example, or people who are in the Bay Area have to become a little bit more comfortable with some density, with some like duplexes, triplexes, some more opportunities for housing in our neighborhoods. Um, for example, in, in San Jose, um, 94% of the land is zoned single family home only. You can only build single family homes in 94% of the land in San Jose. That's a very old model, which I mean, that's a whole nother topic about right. why that is. Exactly, um, exactly. But but I would say that really looking at zoning and land use, equitable land use, is going to is reimagining a California that is more dense and can allow for more people to live here to be able to. I mean, the jobs are incredible that are here, but really giving our communities access to the resources that the Silicon Valley offers and the schooling and the education. It's just it's such an equity conversation around, you know, so I think the future is going to be, I'm so glad that the Black Lives Matter movement really put race at the center of the conversation because housing policy is one of the most racist, historically racist, like ha historically racist things that has ever existed. And so we have to right a lot of wrongs of the past by passing new types of policy and building housing in a way that's equitable so that our communities can live and thrive and not be driven out and displaced. And, and, you know, I, t I can't agree with you more, you know, the Black Lives Matter and, you know, every African-American um, that is a leader in this country after they say black African-American, they talk about brown people. Um, and so, you know, we have to thank them because we're an invisible community uh, many yeah. times. And uh, the African-American community, Black Lives Matter, has really uh, embraced us 
in Mm -hmm. their justice seeking. And I really uh, can't say enough about that, that how important that is. And housing, um, clearly, you know, with redlining and the the history of this is, is, you know, it's, you know, it's just been discriminatory for us for so many decades. And so I I understand that, that, that the need to be able to have a more dense city uh, that would include, you know, potentially ADUs in the back of people's Correct. homes. It also could include going up. And like in San Francisco, they had to go up in the air, so to speak, yeah. to be able to provide for people and for, uh, you know, adequate and, and healthy housing. Um, you know, food security was a big issue for us and it continues to be, um, in, in our area. And we have to say, uh, Gabriela, we live in one of the richest parts of the world and we still have people who are hungry. Uh, they call it food yeah. security. I call it hunger. Um, what, any ideas about that and how you all responded with that in the Silicon Valley area? Yeah, well, it's inextricably linked to housing prices. I mean, that, you know, people in our communities are paying 80% of their income on housing. What's left to buy food? I mean, it, it, it's just these basic needs. When, when you have these basic needs and you're spending 80% of your income on one basic need, of course, you know, other basic needs are going to suffer. And so um, it's housing insecurity and food insecurity are so inextricably linked. Um, and so it, it's been a challenge. And then obviously with the pandemic, it even puts more pressure on um on housing and on food and on food access. Um, but really, I would I just cannot say enough about our nonprofit community that just stepped up. I mean, we weren't the only ones. I mean, literally our nonprofit community stepped up and was serving meals and was was giving grocery drives. I mean, people, churches, I mean, really the community came together and said that, you know, this is this is an important basic need. And so um, you know, there was so many different drives happening. The community colleges were doing stuff. I mean, every sector was was getting involved in in the food insecurity uh, and really making it to be more accessible. And so, and you saw companies stepping up. Um, I think you know the budgets of the health trust and the budgets of the um, the other food. Um, can't think of the name right now, but there was another uh, food bank um, that was like. They got a lot more resources um, from individual donors, from foundations, or really just kind of saying like we need to double down and make sure that our communities aren't going hungry. So, um, so yeah, I mean, I I just really like the the heroes of this whole story is really the nonprofit community. I mean, they always are. Yeah, <laughs> they're yeah, always. I kind of I have to agree. You know, <laughs> like, that's why we run into. That's this is why exactly why we want to document your story, particularly Gaviela, because, you know, I truly believe that when our community comes together, it does incredible things for each other and support of all communities and um, nonprofits who were doing their work and their goal, like your Latina coalition, you pivoted to COVID-19 and, you know, and it, it's, it's changed your organization forever. It has. It, it definitely dramatically has. And, you know, we've been an all volunteer organization for over two decades. And because of all of this and the needs, we are now going to be we're transitioning into a staffed organization, which is such an incredible <laughs> transition for any, you know, life cycle of a, of a nonprofit. And so just to be able to have staff dedicated to doing this work, because this sweat equity thing, 
whoo, it has burned out a lot of people right. over the years. Right. And so and we deserve more. And a lot of our funders really have expressed that to me in particular, that this is inequitable. This sweat equity that our communities have been expected to just step up and contribute. Like we do it out of the kindness of our hearts, but we also should be compensated for this you know, really important, critical work um, that we're doing. And it's, and it doesn't fall, it shouldn't just fall on our backs, That's right. you know, That's so right. really. Well, there's a responsibility as a nation, um, as communities, as cities, a county, um, as the states, um, to their most vulnerable communities. And this is what the Healthcare is Untold is about, is really uh, acknowledging and honoring individuals like yourself, Gabriela, and organizations in our communities um, and uh, and to really acknowledge the work that we've done over the years. And, um, you know, we probably have a thousand years of service on our podcast of individuals like yourself. Um, and they make a tremendous difference in our community. And I can't say enough about thanking you, uh, Gabriela Chavez Lopez, for your work in the Silicon Valley and the, and the Latina Coalition. So thank you so much for your time today. Oh, thank you so much. And thank you for giving us a platform and an opportunity to share our stories. It, it is very healing um, and it is very critical that we are supporting one another um, and offering solutions because those closest to the pain are know what the solutions are. Um, and so thank you for letting us share what those are with the, you know, with the audience and the listeners. Um, and uh, we're just going to get to work. I, you know, I don't think talking about it is, is great in retrospect, but it's like, I just want to get to work. Um, and so that's the ex most exciting part of what I get to do. Oh, beautiful. Well, thank you so much for your time today, Gabriela. Thank you so much, Barbara. Healthcare Untold is a proud member of the Varelas Podcast Guild.